listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am your usual host. But on today's episode, Andy is sitting down with Kyla Gillespie. And in fact, this episode is actually currently available on YouTube. So if that is your preferred platform, feel free to head over there. If not, let me get into telling you about this week's episode. Kyla Gillespie is a former professional women's hockey player who shares her story of how she, a biological female, transitioned into a male and then detransitioned. This story talks about the power of the gospel and how Kyla is using her story, a story of identity, a story of brokenness redeemed by Christ to minister to today's generation of people who also are struggling with sexual identity and identity as a whole. So this episode may be a little bit longer, but trust me, you're not going to want to skip over anything. It's an incredible story of God's faithfulness. But before we get to the episode, I got to let you know, please share this with a friend. The AC Leadership Summit is back and we are just over a month away. It's coming up really soon, October 27th to the 29th. If you haven't heard about it, the Leadership Summit seeks to bring together aspiring Christian thought leaders from across the West Coast for an incredible weekend of networking and equipping. This is an opportunity for young professionals and student leaders aged 19 to 30 to meet one another and grow together as Christian leaders. This year we'll cover topics such as what are my leadership strengths and weaknesses? What is a thought leader and how can I become one? How do I grow practically as a leader? What's the relationship between leadership and community? And how should I handle church hurt? Please sign up today. Applications are open and I would love to review your application. That's right. I will be one of your lead facilitators along with some other incredible people on the weekend. So join us in the beauty of BC's coastal mountains where you can enjoy fellowship and growth at Sasquatch Mountain Resort in Agassiz. The accommodations are called the Green Giant. So if you're keen, I recommend you go and look it up. We got hot tubs. We got a sauna. We got board games. If the weather is permitted, you may be able to go do disc golf. It's going to be an incredible time, and I hope to see you there. So for more information, head to apologeticscanada.com slash leadership dash summit dash BC. And I hope to see you there. Now for the podcast. Hi, welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger, and I'm joined today with my friend, Kyla Gillespie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So excited to be here with you. It is great to have you. This is a very Canadian podcast today. Uh, we are inside, and all Canadians, for whatever reason, don't wear shoes inside. <laughs> so, you know it's Canada. Uh, we are going to be jumping into your story today. I'm really uh, looking forward to you being here and just your willingness uh, to talk about your your story. And I think it's a story that a lot of people want to hear and learn from and think about. So we live in a culture where so many are just dealing with identity issues and where uh, particularly gender identity is such a huge topic right now. And so many people are struggling to know how to think about it, how to talk about it. And and so we want to get into that. And just, I appreciate, you know, your perspective as, as you love God, you love people and you, you know, have a, a heart for people and can really resonate with the struggle that people experience identity wise that you've walked through. So, so maybe to start, why don't we just begin with your, your story? Like, where, where would you start your story? Well, I started at a very young age, probably about the age of uh, five years old. The reason I do this is because something really dramatic happened. Now, I wouldn't say that I can recall exactly that moment. So what happened is I have a brother and a cousin, and they were both playing hockey, 
And I was in figure skating and I begged my parents if I could play hockey with them. And finally, after about a year, they said yes. Um, so I started playing hockey. Super excited about this. Talk about being Canadian. I was just going to say very Canadian. Yes. <laughs> um, and I remember my parents probably about a year into hockey um, coming to me and saying, you know, Kyla, you need to change in a different dressing room or get changed at home or in the bathroom. And at that time, there was no girls hockey. I just played with the boys. And why I say that was specific um, for me is because I remember going, I might have asked this question, like, why? Mm -hmm. I don't feel different than the buddies that I'm playing hockey with. And that was my first recollection of being different. Um, so I start there. And then growing up, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my parents were highly involved in the church. And so at a young age, I just really loved Jesus. And for me, it was something that I just grew up into. So moving on a little bit later, uh, I go to youth group at the age of like 13, 14 years old. I noticed that my friends, girls, were now being attracted to the opposite sex, but this wasn't the case for me. I ended up being attracted to the same sex, my friend. Let, let me just pause you there because I think this is an interesting distinction, you know, in your story, because as you began, you really talked about be, being kind of like a tomboy, what we'd call like a, yes. like a tomboy. And, but, but now you're saying it was, it was more than just kind of being a tomboy that there actually was an attraction as well right. to the same sex. Yeah. And I, I think I fit the stereotype and I was always uh, labeled a tomboy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that I just felt comfortable in that label too. And yes, as I started to realize it's more than this. Um, I guess you could say that I started to notice big differences at that age. So what were you, you know, what were you thinking? Cause I'm sure th- when I've talked with other people, this seems to be like an identity crisis m- moment for a lot of people where they start to realize that they are not seeing the world the same way other people are seeing the world. Right. Yeah. So I was born in the eighties. So this was probably nineties, about 94, somewhere in there. And I didn't know really what to do with that. So here I'm a tomboy. Now I'm realized I'm attracted to the, you know, my friends, girls, the same sex. And I'm going like, I don't think I could tell anyone. So really for me, it was a lot of suppression. I just suppressed it. I didn't really have any conversation at that time about it. Were you going to church at that time? Yes. Yeah. We were going to church every Sunday, highly involved in the church. I think this is something that I've heard from people, even, you know, particularly even just lately, that I think the church needs to give some thought to. And that is that a lot of people, you know, that are dealing with various things. I mean, identity is just one thing, but I mean, it could even be just having a bad day at work right. where they don't necessarily feel like church is a safe place to come and just talk about the challenges of life or things that you're struggling with. Sometimes I've heard, I heard a young adult said this to me recently, said church sometimes feels like a Hallmark movie. Right. Right. Where everything I got to just kind of present everything looking awesome in my life. But actually, I'm dealing with some serious issues that I need to talk to somebody about. And I did grow up in that realm where on the outside we had to look good and what was going on in the inside we didn't really talk about. I think that my church did the best that they could in the time that I was growing up there to support uh, one another. But I just 
think that back in the 90s, we just didn't have the conversation. It wasn't happening in small groups or community groups. I don't even, I think we had Bible studies back then. I remember at my house having um, Bible studies, but there wasn't a lot of talk. Well, it's interesting because I even remember in the 90s, teen pregnancy was kind of a big thing right. back then. And and even that would, wouldn't be talked about. And there wasn't a lot of honesty about what people were you know dealing with or struggling yeah. with. Yeah. So... So what happened? What do you, you're suppressing all of this, and I'm sure it's really building and, and is creating a lot of anxiety. What happens next? Yeah, so I would say as I start getting older, wrestling with these things, I start to feel a lot of guilt and shame. Here I am, raised in a Christian home, love Jesus, want to follow him. But what I realized taking a step back now and seeing I had a distorted view of the gospel, of who Jesus was, um, if I would have seen more clearer on his character and how much he loved me and how we could wrestle and live with things like this and still follow Jesus, that I think would be so beneficial to me at that time. Do you know, I think it's such an important point. Because, and, I, and I think this was particularly true of the 90s. I think, I, I think we're turning a corner on this. But when my mom first started taking me to church, I immediately encountered church being a place where it was all about rules. And you got to make sure you follow all these rules because you wanted to follow these rules so that, you know, God loved you sort of thing. So that you were in right standing with, with God sort of idea. And it, but it's interesting, isn't it, when you look at Jesus and you look at the way that he encounters with people dealing with all sorts of brokenness, he met them where they were at and he loved them. We call them to repentance, don't get me wrong. Right. But he didn't get caught up in the issue so much as he got caught up in the gospel, right. wanting, wanting to see their relationship with God reconciled. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that it was more of how I understood the gospel and living for Christ at that time was a work-based relationship, having to do... Uh, good things to meet up and measure up to being a Christian. And I think that that is untrue because when we love Christ, we want to be more like him. Like you said, being in his good design, being in his will is best for us. It brings us the most joy and satisfaction is found in him and his design. If we just highlight this point, because I think this is an also a really important point. Because we live in a culture of such extreme individualism that our culture just does not know how to understand that we would, you know, and Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter two, that really this idea that Jesus gets after of taking up your cross, like submitting your will to God's will, and that in fact, that's actually going to lead to your good instead of you trying to find your identity and fulfilling whatever desires, you know, you you have in that extreme individualism where I think a lot where I see a lot of people getting lost and a lot of even the church not even quite sure how to respond to a culture that because that is so individualistic. Am I am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. I see we're rooting our identity in who we think we are, who how we feel, uh what we desire, what we want, rather than rooting it in our identity solely in Christ. So so this could get played out in a variety of different ways. Right now, the big conversation in our culture, of course, is around gender and and same-sex attraction, those sorts of things. Right. But even in a heterosexual marriage, like where now 
somebody's like, well, I really, you know, feel like polygamy is, you know, what I'm called to sort of idea. And it's like, well, the gospel is telling you, Jesus is telling you, um, no, actually, uh, it's, it's, you're going to be committed to one wife or husband sort of idea. Cause I, cause again, that individual, my point being just that individualism can get expressed in all sorts of ways that you think, oh, I got to go do this or be this kind of way. And then I'll be happy. And then, then everything's going to be great in my life sort of idea. Yeah. Like I'm going to be satisfied when, Mm -hmm. and that satisfaction never comes unless it's rooted in Christ. Yeah. I think also sometimes what we do is that self ID, like wanting to identify is self autonomy and self autonomy is what our culture is looking for, is wanting what, what individuals born into a broken world would want when actually I believe that that is, um, is slavery. Yeah. So in your story, you, you're dealing with this angst and you start to head down this path. So how does that take place and where does it lead you? Yeah. So I would say probably another pivotal time in my life was 13, 14 years old when my parents came to me and they said, uh, we're getting a divorce. And for us, that was like, I had never seen my parents argue. I had never seen them fight. Um, And so it was just, I don't know, our whole family blew up. And people in the church were like, no. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have one brother. He's three years older. And they were like, no, not the Gillespie's. And I said, yes, like my family is. And so that was a big part of my life. I believed in, you know, scripture what it said about marriage like forever and i had this picture of what it would be like for our family and that was completely ripped apart and destroyed now my mom she started dating a non-believer and uh and my dad about a year later i think he married a woman with five kids and both him and my mom got remarried and i became a really angry teenager angry that our whole life had been ripped apart and torn. And then I remember my mom asking me and my dad asking me, like, you have to choose who you're going to live with. And at like 14 years old, 15 years old, I had to make this choice and it killed me inside. And not knowing who to choose, I chose my mom. And so I moved with her and lived with her during the weekdays. That would just be an impossible decision. It was. And I felt so much shame and guilt towards my dad who was struggling with just uh, depression and everything. And I felt like I had an obligation to him and I didn't love him well, but I didn't know who to choose. Well, I mean, let's be honest, a child should never have to choose. No. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hard decision. And so I would go back to my dad's house on weekends and... um, because he married a woman with five kids, I was sharing a room with one of my stepsisters. And after quite a bit of time, I would come home on the weekend and I would come up to my room and all of a sudden my room would be in boxes. And I just had a bed at my dad's house and I didn't really feel welcome. And, and then the next time I came over, the box was moved downstairs and all my stuff was down there and just a bed. And so I decided that... I wasn't welcome at my dad's house, and I started to stop going there, mm. which hurt me a lot. How old were you? How old were you around this time? Probably about 16, 17 years old. These are formative years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And so my dad still went to church. Uh, my mom stopped going to church completely. And we were raised in a pretty structured family where, you know, like you weren't allowed to go to movies or dances, that, and then to have our family ripped apart and my mom marry a non-believer and her not going to church was a big reality check for us. Yeah, some worldview changes right. taking place rapidly, I'm sure. Yeah, and so I had to kind of start questioning things. But at this time, um, hockey was a major passion for me. And honestly, I wanted to get out of Vancouver Island where I was born. Uh, I didn't want to be there anymore. And so I wanted to get scouted for the national program in Calgary, Alberta. And uh, in order to do that, I had to play a higher level of women's hockey, girls hockey, and that was only found in Vancouver at, in Queen's Park in New US. And so I reached out to them, tried out for a team, and I ended up making it. And this was at about 18 years old, or 17 in my grade 12 year. And this was the first time, really, that I was introduced to the LGBTQ plus community. I was playing with older women. Okay. And uh, this was the first time that I actually... Um, whoa, these women are, you know, like, they have words for the way that I've been feeling. I can relate to them. And I'm sure you felt community. Absolutely. Yeah, we were, we were such a tight-knit team, tight-knit group of people. Um, and uh, But there's also community found in people that you can identify with that, that are struggling with something similar right. to you. Or they obviously, they wouldn't be viewing it that way, but they can at least identify that this is a feeling that they have as well yeah and a lot of times girls would say well kyler gay but you just don't know it yet i was like but i love jesus i'm not gay but i so knew jesus internally. Was still a part of your life yes yeah. absolutely okay um i was still traveling back and forth um from nanaimo vancouver island to vancouver to play at, at a higher level yeah yeah and I, and just after I graduated, I ended up getting scouted. And everybody's going to wonder, by the way, what position? Like, yes, I played center. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a uh, short but fast, and I scored a lot of goals. Nice, so that helped. <laughs> that helped. Yes, um, I got scouted to the Canadian National Women's Program, which was out of Calgary, Alberta, in '99. After I graduated, and. That, that was an excuse for me to take off and leave. Now, by the way, do you still play hockey? I don't play. I retired uh, 10 years ago. Oh, okay, but you did. now I teach skating. Okay, you teach. Okay. So all of this is taking place during your teenage you know, years, I, I'm guessing, as, as you're playing hockey and, go in, and then dealing with these identity issues, challenges as you're thinking through this. What, what, what ultimately takes place? I'm guessing... Uh, your your faith and your identity are kind of colliding at this point. Yeah, I think once I finally moved out and then was at in Calgary, Alberta, on my own for the first time, there was a huge, like, oh, I'm kind of free. Were you 18 at that time? I was, yeah, 18, 19, just graduated. Okay. And uh, I realized that I don't even know what it's like to live alone, not have any rules that are set for my parents. Um, at this time I would call, call my dad to try to talk to him. And I remember one day he just said to me, Kyla, it's easier for me to start over. And what he meant by that is he started over with a new family 
and me and my brother, he didn't really want anything to do with us anymore. Wow. That would be incredibly difficult right. to deal with. I'm guessing that it kind of felt at that moment, like just your foundation of was gone. Right. I didn't mention this earlier, but my dad, when I was playing hockey at a younger age, as a teenager, he was my biggest fan. He would take me to all my games, my practices, uh, everything. We talked through hockey. He was a big hockey fan. And then to have that separation and him just to uh, say, I don't want to communicate with you. I don't believe that he doesn't love me. I just believe that it was so difficult for him mm. and he didn't know how to process it and, and all the hurt that had happened. Um, so I was, again, you know, 19 years old, 18, 19 years old, angry at the world, still trying somehow to follow Jesus and then really intertwined and into the LGBTQ plus community at this time. We should probably note at this point, because we're talking quite a, quite a while ago, so it wasn't like the culture we're in right now. I'm sure this would be much more kind of under underground. Would, is, would this be? This isn't quite as I would say open. in the 2000s, it was coming out. Yeah, yeah I guess that, that would have been the time, wouldn't it? Yeah. Where, yeah. Where it was talked about a little bit more, not in the church still, because um, right. I was in contact with some people that went to my church that I grew up with, but there was more conversation. Coming out as gay was like, okay, and it was being accepted. But what really happened is I met a girl and that I fell in love. So I thought. I, it was the first time that I felt that attraction to somebody of the same sex. And that kind of changed it. But I remember just reading actually recently some of my diary and just that constant tension and battle that I was like, no, God, I want to follow you. I would write like, I love you, but I don't know what to do with this other part of me. Mm. And, uh, and that's when at 19, someone introduced me to alcohol and I took my first drink. And if I would have known what an alcoholic was at the age of 19, I would have known that I was because I blacked out. Well, it um, happened that fast. It happened the first time I drank. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. And so what I saw is this angry teenager struggling with in, in this tension internal battle uh, between two worlds. And I just wanted to numb myself. I, I felt abandonment from my dad and all this brokenness from my family. And um, yeah, I just kind of gave up at that point. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that could resonate with that at some level. I think I think people have, you know, a lot of us have struggled with various things. I, I know I've told you kind of my own story of, you know, dealing with abandonment and, and your past is kind of like a tsunami when you're younger. It's like the wave is like kind of back, like going out. And then when, as you get older, there's this moment where it just kind of hits you. And it seems like you're, you're kind of in that moment where everything's kind of colliding and you're trying to deal with identity. And so you would say that alcohol was a part of what was going on with you trying to escape from it. Yeah, I, I see now how it was. It mm -hmm. was a way for me to suppress the same-sex attraction and um, really just the not fitting in as we get into the gender conversation is not realizing because at 2000s, there wasn't a lot of conversation about gender yeah. dysphoria or any of gender identity. Um, so at that time, I just suppressed that too, knowing that I was more of a butch 
um, girl, uh, tomboy, as you would say, but there was something even more there. So where, where does it go from here? Because it seems like, I mean, there's multiple layers right. of what's going on in your life at this yeah. point. Because, I mean, there's same-sex attraction, but then there's also gender identity. Right. And, and then there's the alcohol component. Yeah. So what, what happens next? Well, I, I continue to play hockey, continue to drink, um, really affecting my career, actually, playing at a national level um, and relationships broken when I drank. Uh, what happened with that girl that I felt like this attraction to, nothing came about in that relationship. And I did. I fought another quite a few years, probably three or four years till I was about 23. And I ended up coming back from Calgary, Alberta to Vancouver and playing hockey there. And that's when it was really bad. And I decided to give up on following Jesus. When you when you say it was really bad, you're saying like just identity wise, this was kind of like rock bottom or what? This is what it looked like for me. I felt that I had to choose God or that life mm. and being so broken and drinking and, and just wanting this tension to stop. I chose that life. And I knew that if I was not to follow Jesus, then I would have to drink. Oh, uh, and so did you end up giving up on alcohol? Um, well, what happened is I come out as gay at, at 23. Um, and then I started to meet other people who actually were transitioning. Mm -hmm. And this was the first I, just like when I first met the LGBTQ plus community and all of a sudden I could relate to people with same sex attraction. This was like, oh my goodness, like I've been feeling this tension inside me with my gender identity and my sexuality. And uh, now there was actual humans that felt the same and it, there was language to it instead of suppressing it for uh, decades, I was able to actually go, wow, like these people are transitioning. Like, what does that even look like or mean? Now, I think this is an important point in your story that I talked to you about before with regards to right now, there's a lot of young people that are kind of jumping on a bandwagon of popularity with regards to identity. It's almost, you know, kind of cool to, you know, pick how you identify sort of thing. But with with your with regards to yourself, this was going on before any of that was being popularized or going on in culture, and you're you're wading through um, this and starting to to learn more about transgenderism. Uh, you know what what are the first steps that kind of brought you deeper into that? Where, where did it where did it go from there? Yeah, I kind of suppressed it for about I would say. Till I was about 30 years old. Some of the reasons why was because I knew if I had to ever tell my mom that I was going to transition, I really knew that it would break her heart. And so I tried to keep it in and suppress that as long as possible. But what I felt was this tension that I, I just couldn't, I couldn't live with anymore. It was like I wasn't really following Jesus and there was no reason why I thought there was an importance to gender um, or sexuality. And I was just like, okay, this is how I feel. And those, like my friends are explaining that they got some kind of reprieve to the tension, to the gender dysphoria that is killing me inside. And what happened is I was 
so lost and broken in 2011. And I reached out to my old pastor, who was my pastor growing up, and he ended up being in Vancouver. And I reached out to him and I said, you know, like, I'm struggling with gender identity. I think I am going to transition. But alcohol was at its peak. And my life was a mess. And I was super depressed. And I said, I need help. So would you say then, in, in many ways, you're kind of thinking this is going to solve all of your issues if you just could transition? Right. I thought, okay, get rid of the alcohol. And then I'll see more clearly, feel more clear about the things that I'm wrestling with. And so I did. I went into a local recovery house and it ended up being a Christian home in Port Coquitlam, Vancouver. And we had to go to this ministry called God Rock. And so like my whole life kind of came to a head. Here I am. uh, I'm going to get sober. I'm done with alcohol. Have you been transitioning at this point? Not quite. I had been secretly, like uh, what they would call it, like um, social transitioning. So I told, uh, I was in an early relationship in recovery, and I told my uh, girlfriend that I was going to transition. I also told my pastor that I was going to transition and some of my friends. They started calling me, uh, my nickname was Kai at the time. So I went by Kai because it was more of a masculine name rather than Kyla, which I struggled with my whole life, having such a, uh, I felt a feminine name like Mm. that. So when I, about six months into recovery, I ended up transitioning. One thing I remember when you were telling me about this, that when you went to see a doctor about transitioning, so I think this is one of those things that uh, I think concerns a lot of people, particularly with regards to teenagers and just the popularity they you know th- seeing this as something popular to do right. but not realizing that there are long-term ramifications but yeah. i remember i asked you did the doctor talk about any long-term ramifications with you i i can't say for a hundred percent that uh all of them were covered i believe that a minimum of them were i don't feel looking back now that i had great knowledge of the ramifications of it. Um, we talk about like certain surgeries. There was, oh, have this surgery so you can change your gender marker and, on your driver's license or your birth certificate. But we didn't talk really about what the surgery actually would mean and do mm-hmm. um, to you uh, emotionally, mentally, socially. Yeah, physically. Physically, yeah. yeah. And I don't think that there was a lot of conversation about that at the time, or even if we are having that conversation yeah. even today. Well, it's interesting because I've looked at some various studies and, you know, there's just, there's A, there's a lot of unknown about, you know, th- this stuff, but also there is the known, you know, and, and, and so I think there's a lot of people obviously that are concerned, particularly for young people. I think in adult transitioning in a democratic society, I mean, that's a different subject. I mean, people are free and they can, they can choose to, to do things. But I guess for me, I'm particularly concerned, you know, for young people. Absolutely. The, you know, it's just, it, it's one of those oddities right now where, where we're kind of turning a blind eye to certain things. Yeah. And I think the reason we do that is because we're so convinced that this is going to 
this is this is what they need or this is going to make them happy right uh sort of thing so what happened did you get happy when you started like did it fix all your problems when you started transitioning i think honestly for a while yes um it alleviated some of my gender dysphoria which was Mm. so high to a place where i couldn't even um come out of my room sometimes for hours trying to get ready to go out and um i would say that yeah once i passed um it took about six months to a year on testosterone before I would pass as male. Uh, that did alleviate some um, gender dysphoria because I was getting misgendered anyway. Mm. And so the fact that I was female and getting misgendered as male, I think hurt me more than if people actually thought I was male and then finally get it right. I hear you. Yeah, say. and so yeah. that helped me uh for a short period of time. Um, and then I said, well, now I need more. And I said, well, maybe after this surgery, I will feel complete. Mm-hmm. And my story is that after two surgeries still did not feel complete. I actually felt more broken, more lost um, than I had ever felt. Do you know, it's such a, an interesting aspect of just human identity in general, how people can search after all sorts of things. I've seen people lose themselves in business. Uh, People lose themselves in addiction. People uh, lose themselves um, even in in education and other things, thinking, okay, if I just get this degree or if I get this house or this job, right, or whatever it it can look like. Sports is another big identity one, right? If I can get onto this team or uh, if I could go pro, that then I'm going to be happy. And uh, I'll never forget, by the way, Tom Brady. I saw this interview with him on 60 Minutes where he had won, I think it was four Super Bowl rings at this point. And he says, you know, why do, why do I have four Super Bowl rings and still think there's something oh, more? Right. Right. And can really lose yourself. You know, what, what happens from here where you're realizing this isn't satisfying? Right. It took quite a few years. So I'm talking like probably about five years into my transition, fully passed as male, legally was uh, changed my name to Bryson, had a full beard, like no one would have ever known, except for people that knew me in the past. And I was still going to this ministry called God Rock. And after about five years of going to this ministry, I was at my wits end, I was going to, I was getting bullied um, a little bit from other people. And I was almost never going to come back. And you're getting bullied at church. I was getting bullied in the uh, recovery community. Okay. Um, and I think that I had had enough. And um, what happened is these new people, Pastor Jess and BJ, took over the ministry, God Rock. And uh, I started to watch these people so passionate for Jesus, so into the Word of God. Uh, they created home group. A community group for us. We started unpacking the word of God and I started to see that God was pursuing me and this passion for Jesus started to rise in me again. So interesting. L- let me ask you a question. I know this may be a hard one to answer, but do you sometimes wonder if things would have been done differently in your past that it would have changed all that transpired? I get asked that question quite often, um, like if I was nurtured 
or if my dad didn't leave me. Or even um, if you just had a safe place to talk. Yeah, safe place to talk. Uh, yes, maybe. But I believe that there was obviously a purpose and a, a plan. Um, I see that God used all my brokenness for my good. And I don't know if there would have been a, another way to bring me to surrender. You know, you know it, it reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. Right. And you can't help but wonder, well, could the dad have done something different? Yeah. Or did the son just need to find himself at rock bottom and realize right. some things that uh, that maybe, I, I don't know. You know, it's yeah. one of those things where I, I don't know. But I do appreciate what you're saying, though, is that, you're saying that this is a part of your story now. Right. And that God can redeem and use that yes. story. I do believe that if, um, you know, I didn't pick up alcohol, could have been a different path that I would have taken. Maybe my hockey would have lasted a little bit longer. Uh, maybe relationships wouldn't have been broken. I might have found Jesus sooner. I don't know. What's the, the moment that um, where you decide to, you know, surrender your identity to Christ? Right. So I'm getting to know these new people over a year. And here I had a, a secret of 33 years living as female, 30 years living as female, all these hockey accomplishments and everything. And we're getting to know each other and we're telling each other our stories. They have no idea that you're a female. They had no idea that I was uh, born female. And I just felt like I had this secret that I needed to share with them. But we had to build this trust. And I knew for me, Trust was difficult to gain because of the abandonment of my father. I, I put up big walls. Yeah. And in order to reach those one day out of about a year of knowing them, I just felt like I could share this with them and they will still accept me and love me. And so I did. I, I asked Pastor Jess and BJ, I said, I, I would love to share part of my story with you. Can we sit down and have this conversation? And of course they said yes. And so I remember sitting down with them and just sharing my story that I was born female and now I've been transitioned for over five years and this is the life that I'm living. And I remember BJ, uh, Pastor BJ, just saying to me, like, thank you for sharing this. We love you even more. And for me, like, the realization that I could share such big secrets and and past uh brokenness and everything with two people and they would still love me mm-hmm. was huge. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what do you, you know, cause what, a question that I wanted to ask you today was what do you think that a church can learn from, you know, from your story or just the just advice that you would give? Cause I hear a lot of churches ask me, you know, Hey Andy, how do we love the LGBT community? Like how do we reach out to people that are struggling with their identity? Uh, what, what would you say? What they would they get right? What kind of advice would you give? Yeah, I, I think, and I share this quite often in my story, is that they love Jesus more than themselves. It was apparent. It was visible to me. I saw them living a life that was sold out for Christ. Do you know, there's an interesting implication with that that I've seen as well, yeah. is when you really love Jesus, it helps you to love people that are struggling with various things because you um you 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 don't become defensive when people share with you what they're they're struggling with because it doesn't your your relationship with the Lord's solid. Right. You know, you love Jesus and from that that place of foundation, yeah. you can help somebody else who's struggling with their foundation. Right. 
them meeting me where I was at also was really big for me. I think that their love for me, like we see in the gospels of Jesus's compassion for the crowds, like it welled up in his gut. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that we are in the word, the more that we love Jesus, like you were just saying, the more we become like him and we can't help but have compassion for uh, our friends, for broken, for the lost. Um, And so I think that that's what I had always been looking for in the church. Like I wanted to follow this Jesus that you're following. I wanted to be friends with you. I think that this is a key idea of making sure that we're getting the gospel front and center. Right. Uh, We've got the greatest news ever to share with somebody. And that should make us excited to love people. Um, But, and I ask my friends quite often, like, how did you love me so well? And they said, we just want to get to know you. We, we like you, we love you, and we want to get to know you. Here I was five years into my transition, not even thinking of detransitioning, and, and they chose to meet me where I was at. You know, that is loving a person, not a project. Right. And, and I said that to them, I'm not a project. I don't want to be a project. Yeah, so. yeah I tell you, that, that's something that I constantly remind myself, uh, and you see that in Jesus. He, he loved people. Um, and he did not make them into a project. He just, right. he loved, loved them and wanted to, again, see them flourish. Yeah. So, uh, when you, um, came to faith and your relationship with the Lord is, is restored, mm-hmm. you know, walk me through the end of, uh, where, you know, where you are today, like, what was that process like and, and how did that lead to you detransitioning? Yeah. So it's been, it's been a crazy journey. Um, I would be lying if I said it was just easy and everything was fixed when I came back to Christ and we just lived happily ever after, but that isn't the truth. Um, I still wrestle and fight, uh, my flesh. Um, but the difference is like, I just, I wanted Christ more than anything. And so when, when I sat with them and I said, like, okay, I don't know what this will look like. I don't know what the Bible says about, you know, transitioning, gender, sexuality, all these kind of things. Um, I want the authority of the Bible to be what guides us in our relationship. I said that to Jess and BJ. Mm -hmm. And once we have that as a foundation, then I said, you know, whether or not it hurts me or, or the truth I think I had to come to a place where I was like, I'm going to bend my knee to myself, bend my knee to my feelings, my desires, and my wants. And I'm going to say, the the God who created me has authority over me. And once we reached that, then I was able to not be so defensive and actually let the power of the gospel, let the scripture transform my mind. It, it reminds me just of the word trust, that you could trust, trust God with your life right. and to lead you. Yeah. It's a big difference, isn't there, between trying to lead ourselves and ultimately just surrendering and allowing God to lead us? I can breathe now. I wasn't created to be a man in this world, and that weight on me was so heavy. And once I saw other people doing um, godly manhood and womanhood, biblical manhood and womanhood, 
I said, I want that. I mm. want to thrive in the gender and the sexuality uh, that you say, God, over my life. And then I was able to breathe. Let, let me ask you a question with regards to this, because this is an interesting thing that I'm seeing. I think the church needs to learn from as well. But when I see the LGBT community, there seems to be a lot of openness if you embrace their ideology. Right. But if you don't, how have things gone? Like, what's the LGBT community right. towards somebody detransitioning? I remember telling my friends in the LGBTQ plus community that I was transitioning. And I lost all of my friends in that community um, because I no longer was female. So uh, I had a bunch of gay and lesbian friends. I didn't, we didn't have anything in common and that really hurt me. And I think detransitioning could, I mean, could be a lot like that moment. Um, I'm not really involved in the LGBTQ plus community. Now I'm asking God, okay, send me back. Uh, you know, wherever you place somebody in my life that is struggling and wrestling with this. But I get, I get uh, a lot of like, oh, well, you're not accepting who I am. Um, you don't care about me. And I find like I don't really fit in to the LGBTQ plus conversation as a detransitioner. Although I don't really say that I'm a detransitioner, so to speak. I'm a child of God and I root my identity in Christ. Amen. And I, I, I think that's actually a really good place for us to, to land in this conversation. And I've even tried to be careful as we've talked about this, because I think we got to be so careful of the labels we put on ourselves, yeah. whether it be transgender or detransition. Right. But I even think the same thing's true of different theological terms sometimes that maybe we'll put on ourselves. I'm like, listen, at a foundation, you are a Christian, a Christ follower. Right. As you said, a child of God. Yeah. That's the foundation. Yeah. And we got to make sure that we get that foundation right and that your identity is rooted in King Jesus, period. Yes. Um, before we go anywhere, yeah, <laughs> anywhere else. Uh, so I'm glad that you made that distinction because I think that that's a really important one. Well, I can use those uh, conversational things to bridge a gap as I'm having a conversation with somebody. But yes, my my identity is rooted in him. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 5, 3, he said, um, he's given you know the Sermon on the Mount, right? right. Which I, I often refer to as the identity sermon. Mm -hmm. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. And I thought this is such a powerful idea that Jesus is getting after that either your identity will define your circumstances mm -hmm. or your circumstances will define your identity. Right. In other words, you can still be poor. Your circumstances don't necessarily define your identity if you're a child of God, if yours is the kingdom of heaven, like right. if you have Jesus. Because yeah. if you have Jesus and Jesus is your identity, that identity defines your circumstances. It 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 goes before you as you are whatever you wrestle with in your life. Because as people are listening to this, I mean, a lot of people probably aren't wrestling with, with gender identity. Maybe some are, but the, I can tell you they're wrestling with some sort of identity issue, though. Absolutely. I think we're broken in all those areas, whether or not it's the same or different. Yeah. I think that when we as Christians and brothers and sisters look at the similarities rather than the differences, we actually have a lot more in common. And that's where I was able to find a commonality with my close friends is that, whoa, you're broken just as much as I am. My sin isn't 
ultimately greater than yours and yours isn't greater than mine but we have this level playing field and now we can come broken Mm -hmm. with humility before the throne and Mm -hmm. and then have community have relationship yeah and that's what the church was always meant to be and i love that we are we are adopted into the kingdom all of us right and and you're right we're all on the same the the same footing like as we as we come before the throne and uh i am just so incredibly thankful for what i have in jesus and mm-hmm. and it's so great to see what god's done in your life and continues to do and that that we are a part of a community we're a part of a family and my prayer my really my prayer is, is that church would really embrace that what does it look like to be a community what does it look like to be a family what does it look like to walk together with each other in honesty and humility? Right. Not trying to put on a face, but being real with each other, that we can walk through the challenges. We're all dealing with challenges, but that we can walk through them together yeah. um, with God, with each other. That's how we were meant to do it. Yeah, I, I, on, it's, it is exactly yeah. it's how we were meant to be. Thank you for being on the, on the podcast. So good to have you with us. Great. Thank you for having me. If people want to find out more about you, can, is there a place they could go? Yeah, so I, I just launched a website, kylagillespie.com. Anything that you need, you can email me questions. I get quite a few emails from parents or grandparents or even people struggling in this area. That's great. Um, so feel free to reach out. I will say this. Uh, uh, I know that you are willing to talk on this issue. Yes. And I remember you telling me, that you had, you know, reached out to various churches and they did not respond back to you. Is that true? A lot of them didn't. Yeah. And, and the, re- the reason I'm bringing this up is because I, I think this is part of the problem. There's so much fear in our culture. I, I just pray that as you're listening to Kyla's story that don't get caught up in the fear. There's people that need to, to talk about this and they need to be able to dialogue with you. Yeah. And part of us even just having, you know, talking about these stories is just to break down some of those barriers of fear and saying, come on, let's have the conversation. Yeah. And I think if you are encountering either friends, family, we all know somebody who knows somebody if we don't like really know somebody um, (laughs) who's struggling in these areas or in any area is like, ask what they did is they asked me my story Mm. and then they listened. and, And that's what we need to do better. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining the uh, AC podcast. We will come back next week with more things to think about. Until then, love God, love people. Bye for now. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the AC Podcast. We pray you really enjoyed this episode. As Andy mentioned, please head over to Kyla's website. If she's someone you want to get in contact with to speak or you have questions, again, her website was www.kylagillespie.com. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, so please make sure to like and subscribe on all of your favorite platforms. And as mentioned, this episode is actually available on YouTube, so feel free, again, to head over there and subscribe. As we are a ministry. We love to hear from you. We love your feedback. So if for any reason you have any questions or thoughts, you can send us an email at info at apologeticscanada.com and we will respond to it in kind. That could be inquiries. That could be even podcast ideas. We love to hear from you guys. So make sure to keep interacting with us. But you know the drill. Until next time, love God, love people. Bye for now. It's the AC Podcast. Podcast.